0: Welcome to Productive Flow, where we answer the eternal question, why can't I get myself to do the things I know I should be doing? Here's the secret I've found. Productivity is rooted in emotion. True productivity and success come only when we heal the emotions driving our behaviors and remove all those internal roadblocks. I'm your host, Angela Kristen Taylor. I'm an entrepreneur, writer, speaker, and I've been right where you are, I've asked myself that same question a thousand times and only took me 20 years to figure out the answer. In each episode, we'll go deep into the emotional roadblocks and a brand new integrative approach that I call productive flow, bringing together your emotion, your energy, your time, and your focus to help you create natural productive flow and achieve higher levels of success in business and in life. Now, let's jump in. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining in for another episode of Productive Flow. And today I have a very special guest that I'm very excited to share with you, Michael Neal. So, Michael... Oof, he is—he is a powerhouse. He's done a lot of big things in the world, and I'm very excited to to have him here today. As I already said, but he is an internationally renowned transformative teacher, author, broadcaster, speaker. He's described as having the unique ability to blend the sacred with the profane. So, if you can. And
1: i to ask how much of the profane I'm allowed to bring in, but we well,
0: can bring it all. Bring it. Okay. We're good. That's... We're happy. <laughs> So this, this inside out understanding at the heart of his work really challenges that cultural mythology, that stress and pressure and and other symptoms of seriousness are, are just a necessary part of adaptation and growth in business or really indeed in any area of life. So in his role as CEO of Genius Catalyst Incorporated, since its inception in the UK in 1990, To its incorporation in the USA in 2007, Michael spearheaded its growth from consultancy to this multimedia organization delivering. Services to yeah. tens of thousands of loyal customers each year through live training, online courses, and, and self study programs. Um, he's also spent more than three decades as a coach, advisor, friend, mentor oh, am I. Spark. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Spark plugged to founders, CEOs, celebrities, royalty, <laughs> and those who are up to something in this world. So I, he just he has this global client base, just very wide, very diverse. And he's just he's done a million things. He's consistently been ranked alongside Jack Canfield, Tony Robbins, uh, other legends in this field.' Is one of the top thirty coaching thought leaders in the world, and continues to run a small private practice working with high performers in their field of expertise. and he's also authored a whole bunch of books, best selling books, six of them. So without further ado, Michael Neal, you guys. We're so lucky to have him here. So thank you, Michael, for joining us. I appreciate <laughs> you for being here. Thank you so much.
1: It's a treat. I, I used to, they used to read, you know, the, obviously the bios changed over the years, mm. but they, they would read out the bio and, and I would always feel like I should be taller by the time I got out on stage. <laughs> it, 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 it's like, God, he sounds impressive, but I kind of know I'm me, and, But which, which I mean, it strikes me as kind of part of like, I, li- I did a little bit of Googling you. Oh, um, did you? Well, yeah, I just, you know, the team vetted you. I just Googled you. It's different. Um, but, 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 but you know, one of the things I saw that I just kind of connected with is, yeah, it, it's productive flow just will take you places that you can't plan, right? You know, I think most of us think of productivity in terms of a goal orientation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I'm being productive in pursuit of my goal of. Yeah. and, and. It can start that way. It's actually very common that it starts that way. But if you fall in love with the productive flow part, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it'll take you places that would never have made your goal list because it wouldn't have occurred to you that they were possible. Mm
0: -hmm. Agreed. Yeah. So what I want to hear about Mm -hmm. is, and thank you for Googling me. It's, it's
1: just, a, it's just an extra little service I provide. Yeah.
0: Appreciate that. <laughs> we have Googled each other. <laughs> it's a statement, right? Yeah. Um, you no, know I want to know. And so I talked about this a little bit before we started recording here, but um, for those of you guys listening, just so you know, um, I, I heard about Michael originally um, from his book, Super Coach, which is a very good book. And I highly recommend it for those of you out there who, who are coaches um, for sure. But he has a whole series of books out there. Um, I was watching a mind Valley masterclass and Michael was his, he was the topic and it was introducing a quest that you have on Evercoach. And so I was listening to this and in it, as you were being interviewed, Um, they were saying, how did you get started as a coach? Hmm. And your answer intrigued me so much because so many people that I speak to have had this this belief inside of themselves. They have this big vision, this big dream, this thing that they want to, to do. And it's usually not money related or money oriented. It's usually focused on some type of service. Like I want to save people in this way or from this thing. And this is how I'm going to do it. And so here's my business and here's how I'm going to serve people. Right. But they get stuck in going from mediocre, just barely making ends meet to actually taking it to this level of I've achieved something. I've done this. I've I've created this success. And again, it's it's not always a money focus on success, although that's part of it. It's usually focused on I've really helped people. I've really achieved that. I've really made a difference in someone's life. And and your answer to that question really just it struck me as yes, like people need to hear that. These people need to hear that story.
1: I'm, so, I'm now worried I'm not going to tell it as well this time, but <laughs> maybe we can find them a link to that interview in case this doesn't go well. I, I, you know, I think, I, if I, to, to the extent, look, I remember the real story, even if I don't remember how okay. I <laughs> talked about it on, <laughs> on that interview. But, you know, I had no interest in anything development-y. Like I, I was, um, I wanted to be from the age of about 12. I knew I wanted to be an actor.
2: Hmm.
1: And so that was, I played Hamlet at 12 for the first time. Wow. I mean, it was a theater production. It was not like a 12 year old in amongst the but,
0: but. That's a deep role though. For all <laughs> <old-year-olds>. <laughs> um,
1: you know, start as you mean to go on. Yeah. I, I used to have a line in my bio when I, when I was still doing shows that, uh, you know, said he, you know, Michael Neal played Hamlet at the age of 12 and such and such. His subsequent theatrical decline began. Um, uh, but but, but it, simultaneous with that, I was dealing with, um, I mean, what I now know is called de- depression and suicidal ideation. So I was a depressed suicidal teen and uh, not as uncommon as you'd wish uh obviously though though at the time also not as talked about as it is now True. Um,
2: yeah.
1: you know so there, there weren't a lot of celebrities online going hey it's okay to have mental health issues mm-hmm. right like that was not oh no, no. no you know it's very much a
0: we're, we're close to the same age
1: yeah, so. keep, keep it to yourself kid
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Just, uh, you know if you make it out of
1: your, if you make it out of your teens it'll probably get better but right? like <laughs> yeah But, but what that meant was at a certain point, I knew I needed something to not die. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Like I just, I, I, I kind of knew, um, and I almost got professional help, but it was not in an environment that was conducive to that. Sure. Um, and so that wasn't really i i i get theoretically i could have but it didn't seem like a real choice mm-hmm. um and so i just started studying everything and i read everything at one point i did do a, a, an inventory and i i i had read over 3000 books in psychological development personal development spiritual development business mm-hmm. development cuz i just thought somebody must know how to not do this because yeah people are around. And, and, um, and some of it was helpful. I mean, a lot of it wasn't (laughs) a shocking amount wasn't, (laughs) but, um, but what I found was because of that experience, I just knew a lot that other people didn't know. I was like, almost like a collation of the wisdom that was out there. And so I, I almost as a hobby started sharing it with people when they'd ask.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I, would, uh, you know, we used to call it coffee cup coaching because I just meet people for coffee and talk
2: yeah. and,
1: and I didn't charge them. I mean, I'd let them buy the coffee, but that was, you, you know, and, and I did that for a couple of years before it was a job. It was just, people knew if they needed to talk, I, they could talk to me. Mm-hmm. And then at some point it dawned on me, oh, I guess I could do this to make some money between acting gigs. Right. And it, it was, it really evolved as this hobby that this nice thing I could do for people and with people that I enjoyed. And then I started teaching because people said, Hey, would you come talk to this group or that group? And mm-hmm. it's like, sure. And, and, and in a way, maybe because there was no pressure for it to go anywhere.
0: Mm-hmm. I,
1: I, I stayed with it long enough to get good at it. Yeah, I think when I meet entrepreneurs and and business people, not by any means in any case, but one of the most common obstacles that I see them up against is they think it's not supposed to take time.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, I, I remember want actually to
0: happen right now.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, I remember speaking at a a, a conference uh, for entrepreneurs in the UK, and and everyone wanted to know how to how to you know, create their, um, their six figure business. Uh, that was the, the starting point. You know, obviously there were some who wanted the seven, the eight, the nine, the 10, but most people were okay with the six.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and I remember just asking somebody, well, how's your two figure business going? Mm-hmm. And I was shocked at how few people really had established a firm, solid two figure business who were there to learn how to have a six figure business. Yeah. And it, 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 it's, there is a certain element to getting good at anything that is just about time and attention. Sure. Now, if you're enjoying it, it makes it a hell of a lot easier to put in the time and give it the attention.
0: Yeah, it does.
1: But, you know, so that's the thing is for me, in a way, because this was my hobby, not my job until it became my job, it, you know, time and attention weren't a problem. I was, I was putting in the hours because I wanted to. And at the beginning, because I thought I needed to,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, because I needed to kind of figure out how to do this for me. And, and then eventually it was, it was kind of a bonus that it also helps other people.
0: Yeah, it does. But what do you think, like, and you talk about being this, this depressed, suicidal kid. Mm-hmm. Where do you think that came from? Do you have something that you can say, like, this is where oh, this derived I mean,
1: from? Y- you know, I did actually eventually get my brain chemistry checked. The, that mm-hmm. test wasn't there when I was that age, or, yeah. you know, but, mm-hmm. but that you know, once they started being able to do neurotransmitter tests. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember because I was already by that time, I'd written a couple of best selling books, I, I was pretty mm-hmm. established, but I had the last proper incident of depression I had was in 2007. Yeah. Right around there and um and i was kind of it was a little different because i had been happy for so long that i it was like this foreign feeling whereas yeah. for years What's that was this? my and i remember thinking god i wish i could tell that kid back then how tough he was cuz he put up with this on a daily basis i'm only dealing with this mm-hmm. now but what i remember you know so i took the neurotransmitter test and my serotonin levels were Less than a quarter of the bottom of the chart, yeah. and I i said to the doctor, "I said I'm I'm kind of embarrassed about this because this is what I teach." And she said, "Oh no, whatever you teach must be good because you should be dead."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I'm like, okay. So that's a very long way of saying, for me, I, I attribute more of it to brain chemistry and yeah. and that than anything. I was not a. I, I just not, there was nothing in my life to particularly complain about. I'm sure I could yeah. find. But, you know, I was, I was a loved kid from a good family.
2: Yeah.
1: But yeah. I now know, and, you know, having had kids and watched mm-hmm. two of the three of them deal with this in their own way, I just think, okay, genetically, we're just predisposed slightly.
2: Sure.
1: What, what I now know, and I say no like that because I know it. Like, it's mm-hmm. not a question. Yeah. I, you know, I you can argue with me till the cows come home and I'll let you win and then go home and not have changed my mind. But um <laughs> it is is that when we overthink life,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the effect of that is depression. It starts know. out as anxiety. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then it becomes depression if you keep going. Yeah. Because that's the that's the mind safety switch. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I remember once um, I was going to give a talk uh, in I was in South Africa and uh, they wanted me to give a talk on suicide prevention because one of the kids in their community had killed himself the week mm. before I was due to come and speak. Yeah. And I was in the hotel um, blow drying my hair before going on. I don't have a, that much, but, you know, so it was you know enough to blow dry.
0: I don't and, have a blow dryer. <laughs> and, and,
1: well, then you might not know this. In hotels, the blow dryers have um, cutoff switches. Okay. So that you don't accidentally leave the blow dryer on, it overheats and creates a fire. Sure,
0: like a grounding. Right,
1: mm-hmm. and this one was just really highly tuned because it kept switching off while I was trying to draw my hair. I mean, I, like I said, you know, it, it should have taken about three minutes, but it, it <laughs> and 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 all of a sudden I went, oh God, this is exactly how the mind works.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It gets overheated. Yeah. And it switches itself off. So that it can cool down.
0: And because it's a self-protection, though, like you said. Right. Yeah.
1: It's a self. It's actually just like this wonderful equilibrium creating mechanism in us. Mm-hmm. But because we don't understand it, we think of it as an illness. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't feel nice.
2: Mm-mm.
1: But by the same token, if somebody had told me, oh, hey, look, this is a good thing. This is just your brain protecting you from all that anxious worrying that you've been doing. and 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 it's giving you a break from it i wouldn't have been scared of it Mm. and that would have been really nice because that was the hard bit for me was i really thought there was something terribly wrong with me Mm -hmm. because everyone told me there was something terribly wrong with me i came by the belief honestly um but 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 i didn't realize oh no no this is this is your health not an illness
0: yeah
2: yeah
1: um and 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 chemistry But but like even with the chemistry, so what was interesting is when I stopped overthinking everything, Mm -hmm. my brain chemistry changed. Mm. So I've had neurotransmitter tests and I I look really, I've got a very balanced brain. I didn't do anything physically for it, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but it's just I was no longer taxing the system in a way that my particular system wasn't very well equipped to handle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, Yeah. And I get that. I had so much anxiety growing up, just so much anxiety. And I didn't, I mean, I had childhood trauma happening all over the place, you know, left and right, both, both parents, both parents, good people loved me very much, just were kids themselves, didn't know what they were doing. Good intentions that didn't go that way, basically, you know, and um it's uh you know there was a, me being the oldest child there was a lot of anxiety and then when they split up and then there was really nobody there you know there was a lot of responsibility placed on me by default taking care of a, a younger brother i was 6 he was 3 we were left alone all night there was a lot of anxiety there and so by the time that i was an adult the anxiety was just it was part of my day Like I knew that when I woke up in the morning, this is how I was going to feel. And that by the time I pushed myself to get to school and around nine o'clock, like after the first or second class, I felt like I could start to take a deep breath and I would feel better, but I just had to get there and start moving. And then I was okay. And that happened every day for ninth grade through 12th grade was constant. And then when I was 17, I had my first real panic attack. And that was where I thought I was dying for sure, yeah. you know, and then realized at that time, I had no idea what it was. I attribute it to the chicken pox, which I came down with about a week later. <laughs> I thought, oh, this must be when I caught the chicken pox. That must be what happens when you acquire that particular yeah. disease. Sure. You know? <laughs> it's the chicken pox. And uh, it just, And by the time I was, um, I bought my first house when I was 19, I had four by the time I was 22 and everything started to fall apart. I mean, like my life was unraveling because I was moving so far ahead so quickly and I was overwhelming myself with basically a lot of clutter, you know, things that I wasn't ready to, to manage or maintain, or even knew what I was doing with. And I was just throwing all this stuff at me to basically fill an emotional hole. Right. And then it was just the anxiety we just kept building and building and building. And then that's when I went into a space of just complete shutdown and hit that depression wall.
1: Same, you know, you, you know yeah. it reminds me of just, I don't know if you know the quote, but there's a, a Henry David Thoreau quote that if you've built your castles in the air, your work need not be lost. Now build the foundations under them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I just, yeah. I, I also know. Because that's not an uncommon story where you just mm-hmm. go out, you just find the energy to achieve yeah. Yeah. and then realize, what the hell have I done?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: But yeah. it isn't, <laughs> you, you, the solution does not have to look like giving everything away and stopping yeah. and starting again. Mm-hmm. It can, mm-hmm. but it's actually possible to catch up to yourself.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it just takes some, um, some patience with okay. yourself mm-hmm. and some understanding
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and some time. But it, yeah. it's, it's good. To, I found it very reassuring to know um, when I found out that I didn't have to stop doing all the things I loved doing in order to get back to okay. And then yeah. from okay to thrive.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I, I realized that the slowing down I needed to know to do was internal, not external.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. And maybe,
1: and I didn't know. I thought, okay, well, if the external winds up slowing down of its own.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: i'm okay with that yeah but i couldn't bring myself to stop doing all the cool stuff that i was doing
2: mm-hmm. even though
1: it was killing me yeah. i mean you know i don't remember if i told this story in the interview you listened to but in gosh i'm gonna say around 2008 um i was uh i my first two books had come out and been bestsellers uh i you know i i you know it's sort of a a I still have it on my bathroom wall. I, I was out selling the Lincoln lawyer. Like I was number one. Lincoln lawyer was number two, like in the UK. It did really well, <laughs> right? And, and, um, and I was shooting a television pilot with one of the producers from Dr. Phil. Mm-hmm. And it was like, everything was on. Yeah. And I come downstairs and I'm flying up. I'm, I'm supposed to be flying up to meet with a client up in Washington State. I live in LA. And um, my wife said, what happened to your face? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, What do you mean? She looked in the mirror and half my face was like down by my chin. And, and, and I was like, Oh, I don't know, but I got to get this plane and I got to walk the dogs before I go to the plane. And I, you know, and, and I remember being a little shaken Mm -hmm. because I did look weird. Um, But literally this is how messed up my internal logic was at the time. My first thought was they can film me from the right. Right. My second thought was, well, I've always done really well on radio. So if I never get my face back, I can still do radio. (laughs) Right. Like at no point did it occur to me, maybe this is a sign that something's wrong.
0: Something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And it was, and then, so I fly up, I'm sitting with my client and after about two minutes, he goes, what happened to your face? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I go through the same thing. And he said, and and we went for about 20 minutes and he said, look, can you do me a favor? And I said, of course. He said, let me take you to the hospital because I can't look at you. Yeah. And I was eye rolling. Like I said, like oh, fine. So we, we get to the hospital, and it is not till we get to the hospital and they look at me and rush me past everybody else mm-hmm. to take me in that I'm like, oh shit, yeah. <laughs> this this could be problematic. Now it, it was it wasn't a stroke; it was Bell's mm-hmm. palsy, so yeah. it, it was fine. Mm-hmm. But it was the first time where I really got, oh, I can't actually just keep running on fumes forever.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. that's true. And that
1: was actually what a, what a gentle way to find out. Like I've met many people who didn't find out till the marriage was over. The heart attacks had come, the business had gone bankrupt. The like, I got, I got my wake up call. Well, I got the one that I heard. I probably got about 50 that I, but I got the wake up call. I could hear in a relatively gentle manner.
0: At least the people around you could hear it.
1: It's like why did you throw the bucket of ice water on my head? Well you didn't wake up when we said Mikey,
0: come on buddy. <laughs> yeah, no. I I do I get that. You know, and that's that's interesting because um I talk a lot about the clutter cycle. It's something that I see entrepreneurs going through a lot. And they they get to this point where it's like they had all this stuff that has happened, right? In their lives and they're trying to fill this hole, right? And it's just an emotional void for whatever reason. And so they go out there and they're doing all these things and they're collecting all this clutter, kind of like what I described I did, right? And then they're they're not paying attention usually to all the side effects of all this, right? And so a lot of times this turns into financial clutter because they're, they don't know what they're spending money on. They're not tracking it. They're not paying attention. And they go into this space of shutdown because they're just not, they're not building their business. They're not growing their business. They're not doing the things. They're focused on accumulation rather than creating balance. And it doesn't matter what you're accumulating. It can be stuff. It can be achievements, right? It It's the fact that, you're running so fast in one direction and you're not allowing yourself any space to just breathe, you know? Well,
1: and I think for me, what was a bit of a revelation when I started to see it was it wasn't just about getting better at recovery time. Cause for a while that was, that was my, okay, I need to build in more recovery time
2: mm.
1: between sprints. Mm-hmm. Between three year sprints. I need to get myself a month. Right. Like, you know, again, it was all logical at the time. It all made sense as I went. But but what I realized is, oh, you can actually go f- here's about probably my favorite analogy for it. Is the way most entrepreneurs I know, and and I include my early, my younger self in this, they 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 put the canoe on their head and run barefoot down the rocky riverbed for five miles to get there. And they're like, I made it. <laughs> and they're, they're missing out on the possibility that if you waited for the water to fill the riverbed and put the canoe down and got in it, you'd get there even faster mm-hmm. and you wouldn't be exhausted when you arrive.
0: You wouldn't have bloody feet. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, and, and I just didn't know. Nobody told yeah. me.
0: Yeah.
1: And I probably wouldn't have believed them in fairness if they did. My first first big audio with Hay House was called Effortless Success. Mm -hmm. And and I remember my agent saying to me, you can't call it that. And I was like, why not? He said, I see you work. You work really hard. And I was like, okay, let's call it seemingly effortless success. Because that's all I meant. It didn't mean you don't have to put in the hours. I didn't mean you don't have to show up. Mm -hmm. I don't know anyone who's created anything of scope or value Mm -hmm. that hasn't put in the hours. Mm But how hard that is and how tiring that is, is largely a function of how you go about it.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You so know, I liked
1: your phrase, productive flow. Like oh, I, you. That, that's, you know, my, my sort of metaphor that I use that sounds aligned. It may not be exactly what you mean by it. With that is, is I, I, I think about if you, if you think about like the Mississippi river. Right, so a big river. If you don't know the, live near the Mississippi, you know, oh. a big river. Right on the surface, it can get really choppy, mm-hmm. like almost like the ocean. I mean, there's almost a yeah. wave from the wind and the. Um, if you go just a foot, two feet below the surface, it's this steady flow,
2: mm-hmm.
1: really smooth. And if you go down deep enough, it's so still that it almost feels like it isn't moving, even though it still is. Mm-hmm. And so most people spend most of their time trying to navigate the surface and even settle the surface as if you could do that. Or or occasionally they'll drop below the surface and experience flow and go, that was cool. I wish that would happen more often. (laughs) Right, people who are more used to the flow Mm -hmm. spend some time on the surface, but more time a a couple of feet down. The people who I meet who are in it for the long haul, who've been doing it and thriving on it, not just getting by. Because you can get by for a long time. Mm-hmm. Our bodies are remarkable. You know, we can go 20, 30 years before it kills us. You know, it's it's great. Um, but they've figured out... Yeah, I'm not actually... This was not a recommendation. By the way, the opinions expressed by Michael Neal are not those of the management of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> my point. I do have a point. Um, is Is... You can learn to operate where you're spending most of your time moving between the flow under the surface and the, the stillness of the depths.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You, you don't actually need to spend all that much time up on the surface. It's not that it won't be, there won't be turbulence in your head from mm-hmm. time to time. It's that we are designed in a way where we operate at our best underneath the noise
0: yeah.
1: of, our, of our heads. Mm-hmm. not from the middle of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, for me, the I think the, the concept of, of productive flow came to me after really realizing that, you know, there were a lot of people in productivity mm. that were just naturally productive. Mm. <laughs> Not a lot of people in productivity that actually had a challenge with it. And I had been challenged by it my whole life. And so I had to figure out how to put a, together a sense of productivity that worked for me in the same way that my brain worked, because my brain didn't work well with all of these rules and regulations and blocks and things around it, that it wasn't creative or freeing enough for me to function in that way. And so I thought originally, well, you're either productive or you're not, and I wasn't, and therefore, I wasn't going to achieve much or be able to hang on to it, right, because I would get it, and then I'd let it all fall apart, and in reality, it was, it was funny, but I really started to pull it together, really pull it together, what it took to make it all work and really create that sense of that stillness at the bottom of the river, right? Right. Um, when I met my, my husband and I had been, I was a divorced single mom, with two small kids, and he was a divorced single dad with two kids and he had a dog and I had a dog. And all of a sudden we were a household with four kids and two dogs. And I was coaching 40 different clients and running three classes a week. And, uh, all of a sudden I was now homeschooling four kids on top of that. And then two years later, we had a baby. (laughs) Throw another monkey wrench in it, you know, why not? And, uh, And we had all these different food allergies and we had a big house to keep all these people. And I was doing everything and I had time for me. I had time to do yoga. I had time to read, I had time to relax. I had time to watch old movies with my daughter at the end of the day, you know? And it was just, it really struck me that you really can have it all. Mm -hmm. If you start to realize what things actually matter Mm -hmm. and what things are just busy work, what things are just distractions, what things are just taking you somewhere else, you know? So I want to ask you with that and everything that you've achieved, do you still feel like you're you're running and doing sprints or do you feel like you've you've found that that flow
2: no i i still sprint sometimes but but sprinting can be fun mm, mm-hmm.
1: right so is sprinting only stops being fun when it's your only mode yeah right so i like sprinting to the finish
2: mm-hmm.
1: i like book deadlines i like that on the whole yeah. Um, it was when it was constant, that it's no fun. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, but generally, no, I, I think the biggest shift I've noticed in the last couple of years is at some point, and it was not on purpose, but ambition became less of a driving force
2: mm-hmm.
1: and just the love of the game really did take over. So I've always loved it because maybe this is my brain is such that I, I'm just not capable of getting myself to do stuff I don't love. I I, oh, I just can't.
0: Pretty much an entrepreneurial trait. You yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. So> know, it's
1: <laughs> like it's like I, I I mean even my first book yeah. came about. Um, you know, I kind of knew I wanted to write one and I was hiring a coach and they said, well, if you gotta change all of these things about how you do what you do, if you're gonna do it. And, you know, if you do that, then in 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 uh you know, in a year, you know, you'll be ready and we'll get you an agent. And then in two years you'll have the deal, and within three years you'll have a book on the shelves. And and I remember like coming away thinking, well, I'm never gonna do any of that. Um, There were 26 things on the list. It wasn't (laughs) one of them I was going to do. But I thought, well, do I want to write a book anyways? Yeah. What the hell? Like, nothing in my life has ever worked out the way it was supposed to, anyways. And and literally the next day, I got a call from an old client who used to be head of PR for MTV Mm -hmm. saying, you know, it's weird that nobody knows who you are. Have you thought of writing a book? Mm. I'm like, well, funnily enough, just yesterday. And it's just like, well, let me make some calls. And then the next day, another client called and he said, I was talking to my literary agent at a party and we were talking about you and he'd really like to meet you. Do you have any interest in writing a book? And I said, well, funny you should. And, and you know, literally a year and a week later was when I topped the Amazon charts. Yeah. And it wasn't like, wasn't I cool? I mean, it <laughs> was cool, but it was just a willingness to go where this was taking me. Yeah. And not try and do it the right way,
2: mm.
1: but I, I've slightly gotten off your qu- actual question.
2: No, no.
0: But good, but
1: no. but the you know so what's happened for me is that that sort of background, yeah, but you could do you could be doing more. Mm. That seems to have lost its seat at the table.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, I still hear it from time to time, but it's over there somewhere in the corner, and it seems mm-hmm. fine, right? Like you know, I, I, I don't feel the need to bring it cookies. It's like it's doing, well. um, y- y- you know. And and so, consequently, what I'm no, I'm doing as much, if not more. But it really is just, oh, this would be cool. Oh, I wonder if I could do this.
0: That's oh, getting in the flow. Well, well that's yeah. What
1: that is. yeah. <laughs> well, it's almost like we have a point.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Thank God for that. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. The book story that you're telling because I I wrote a book years ago and it was fiction, fantasy fiction, young adult had nothing to do with my business at all, you know, but I'd been writing little stories since I was six years old. So it was just something I enjoy doing. And it was funny because I just knew I was, writing this book, and I didn't put any thought or effort into it. And uh, I was just, I kind of like see this movie playing in my head, and I was just writing down what I saw and what I what I heard, you know. And uh, that was it. And I remember thinking, you know, one day I'm going to be a real writer, and I'm going to join a writer's group. But I have to have a literary agent before I can do that, because I'm not a real writer until I have a literary agent. It's not, it's not a real thing. So I had got this book um, about literary agents and how to find one and how to listing all the literary agents, you know. And so it says here, you know, you got to write this letter and you got to send this letter out to these literary agents. And here's what the letter is supposed to look like. You know, this is what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. And I looked at that and I thought, okay, they're telling me to write this letter. And they're also saying that they get thousands of these all the time. This looks like the most boring letter I have ever seen in my life. And there's no way I'm sending out that letter. So this is a fantasy fiction novel, right? So I write the letter to the literary agent from the perspective of the lead character in the book and that he has lost this person. And that the entire fate of his world depends on finding this person and he needs to get his story out. So can you please help him do that? And that you can reach him through his close contact in their world, me, right? right? I sent that up. I got lots of responses. <laughs> lots of responses. That great. And I got three offers from right. literary agents. Like, this is amazing, you know? So I'm like, super cool. So I, I joined this writer's group. So I thought... I have a literary agent now. I've made it. Now I'm a writer. So I go and I join the writers group and I'm sitting around and and everybody's dressed up in all these business clothes, you know. And I was wearing like ripped jeans and flip-flops and a tank top, you know, no makeup or anything. I just thought, I'm a writer. I don't have to dress up anymore. <laughs> you know, it could just be me. So I show up and um and these people were all sitting around. And I mean, some of these people had written like 15 books. Hmm. And I, I was asking him like, oh, who's your literary agent? And like, oh, that's like winning the lottery. Who has a literary agent? And I was like, I do. And they're like, wait, what? And then there's like whispers, sh, 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 you know, she's got literary, she's got literary. They're like, how did you get a literary agent? How many books have you written? I said, just the one. And, like, how did you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I sent out letters and you know, I got responses. I don't know. I have a literary agent. Okay. And uh, the guy that was speaking was an author had been published many times. Western books. Yeah. I have no idea who he was. And I remember he's, he's talking, he's talking and talking about how he got published and everything and, and different things. And this, he asked for questions at the end. And this woman raises her hand and everybody's taking notes. I didn't bring anything to take notes with, of course, because, you know, I just brought you myself. Literary
2: agent.
1: You don't need to take notes. I
0: don't need That's to take not notes. Yeah. No. So I was <laughs> sitting there. And she, she raised her hand and he calls on her and she says, how do you outline your dialogue? And I thought, holy shit, outline your dialogue. What is that? I don't even know what that is. I have no idea. You know? And He goes, he looked at her. He was just completely confused. He goes, lady, outline my dialogue. And I remember he took his hand and he hit the wall really hard. He goes, lady, I just wake up in the middle of the night and write down what I hear them saying." Oh good, because that's what I do.
1: You know. I, I I once so I started out, I had been um ghosting <laughs> mm-hmm. books and uh and I'd done editing and I'd i do, I'd done a lot of stuff around books because I love books,
2: obviously. Yeah.
1: And uh but it always felt like um I was somehow magically getting to the deadline. Like mm-hmm. I, I clearly wasn't doing it right. Mm-hmm. Right. And I wanted to learn how to do it right. So I found a a, a guy who had written, I think at that point, about 15, 16 books. He's up over 30 and they're pretty good. I mean, like it's not, you know, and, but he also offered coaching and I was like, Mm -hmm. perfect. And I just, I I said, I I explained my situation. I said, I'd really like you to help me with this. And he said, absolutely. And he gave me a price that was a lot, but not stupid a lot. Mm -hmm. And, and, and he wanted me to fly out to arizona i think and it was like cool yeah i'll do that and i got there and it was the funniest stupidest most helpful coaching session i've probably ever had because because i i got there and i'm like oh my god i'm so excited for this i'm so looking forward to this i did have my little sticky pad with notes right i though i wasn't torn jeans so somehow i bridged the gap between them um and and and, and he said, so how many books have you, you, you know, written or worked on And at the time? It was about a dozen. Mm-hmm. And he said, and how have they done? And I said, well, they've all been bestsellers. A couple of them have actually been like, you know, big, big, big bestsellers. Mm-hmm. And he went, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he's like taking notes. And he's like, are you a moron? And I was like, what? Wow. And he said, are you a complete moron? And I said, I don't think so. <laughs> and he said... Well, you've come to me asking me to tell you how to write. Apparently, you know how to write. You just think it should look like something else.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that was pretty much it. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But damn, that was helpful.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Right. I normally don't spend that much money to be told that I'm a moron. But in this case, he had a point. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. You know, but it it is funny how our self image it takes it a while to catch up with reality,
2: it does, yeah, mine
1: seems to lag only about six months behind now. It used to lag that's years good. behind, yeah, you know, I feel like that's progress, <laughs> yeah. you know, where I still think of myself as somebody who, and it's like, no, you haven't been like that for ages, and it's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah,
0: that's mm-hmm. true, yeah, yeah, but you know, and this is let's i want to go back to this a little bit, but you know, when you were talking about sprints and how you enjoy the sprinting process and that it relates to something that you enjoy doing because you're not going to just go and do something that you don't enjoy doing, right? And I found that most entrepreneurs are exactly the same way, you know, they, but there's also this, there's a fine line between the things that interest them and what they're doing in their career. Because they, they, they overlap so much. And I think that that's where they get that, that feeling of, I have to keep going. I can't stop working. I have to keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And they end up sprinting for three years because they enjoy what they do so much. And they feel such this, this something inside of them that like, this is part of me. This is how I'm expressing myself in the world, right? And that 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 feeling is what's keep driving, keeps driving them to this, this constant sprint, right? And then they get burnt out and then they just think, oh, this is a mess. And maybe I'm not capable. Maybe I'm just this huge failure and I'm never gonna make it. But in reality, it's just they haven't brought in that, that flow, that balance. And so, you know, like you, I, I enjoy the sprint when it's, it's something that I enjoy. I love to learn, right? Yeah. I love to, to read about things. And I've read, I don't know if I've read 3,000 books, but I haven't counted, so I don't know.
1: <laughs> it's really interesting. I'm, I'm up
0: have. there, for sure. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm, I have a hard time defining where, or I guess I used to, where work stopped and right. life picked up, right? Because there was such not much of a, a, a defining line between them, right? It's just part of who I am. And then I started dividing it up into actual, this is what I'm doing working wise. That, oh my God, I love those things. I think Bendrift, that's a yeah. raspberry lime, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: it is. Well, well done. Well fun yeah. Very refreshing.
0: Sorry, the <laughs> but, amount of
1: coffee I drink early in the morning.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. You're you're three hours behind me. Um, but it's this it's this this thing that drives them right, and then and and so for me, what I found is that is I divided up this time, and I started to pull pull in instead of looking at my life as this is business, yeah. this is life. I started pulling in all of the things and mm. saying this is life and included my business, but it wasn't all of it, right? And that's when I was able to delineate certain things and and create time for all the things that I Mm -hmm. wanted to do, you know? And so like one of the things that that we do is we usually leave on Friday and we have a big fifth wheel and a big truck and we take it up to the mountains and we're there till Monday. And then we come home and we're home Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and part of Friday, (laughs) you know, and then that's it. (laughs) So, we're, we spend more time sometimes in the fifth wheel up in the mountains than we do actually in our house. But we love that time and we love getting away and we love going camping and sitting out by the fire. And it's just so much fun, right? And it's time that we get to spend with our eight year old that we didn't get to do with our four kids who are now adults and grown and on their own, you know? And um, it's, it's really finding that space of what you love to do. And, and blending it with your business, because it's all part of who you are.
1: I, I think, you know, what you're speaking to, I think, you know, I certainly recognize, you know, the way you're talking about it. Mm-hmm. it, it it's always been the problem with me with this idea of life-work balance is it suggests they're two different things.
0: Exactly. And, it's um, and,
1: and, and so for me, you know, I've always seen it less as scales than concentric circles. hmm you know where look your well-being is going to be at the center of the small the the, the very center of the diagram mm-hmm. everything flows out from that if you're not okay it's not going to be okay
0: yeah
1: right mm-hmm. but then there's that first circle and that's the stuff that really matters to you mm-hmm. and then there's the next circle which is the stuff that's fun and has to get done maybe mm-hmm. or maybe not and then there's though this would be interesting to try at some point and mm-hmm you know and and it turns out there's time for a lot more than you think I where i see most entrepreneurs miss the miss the boat miss the window miss the miss the point
2: mm-hmm.
1: is they they don't notice diminishing returns and they don't notice accelerating returns mm. there are times where one unit of effort will bring you 3 to 5 bits of reward
2: yeah
1: that's when you sprint Mm -hmm. There are times where five units of effort barely bring you one unit of reward. That's a great time to grab the fifth wheel and go up into the hills. Yeah. (laughs) Like, we think, no, I must push through. I must like try harder. (laughs) And it's like, no, that is not what that is telling you. Mm -hmm. You're going to be like like somebody who's been sitting on their leg for too long Mm -hmm. and it's fallen asleep and they go, my leg's fallen asleep. I need to add more weight. (laughs) I was like, no, that's not the message. The message is get off your damn leg, right? And it's the same thing. It's like diminishing returns is letting Mm -hmm. you know time to step away. Yeah. And increasing returns is an invitation. Mm -hmm. You're in those flow states, write them. Yeah. You know, and once people start to see that, because it's already happening, they're just not Mm -hmm. noticing, then the, the exact same game, nothing else has changed yet. But now suddenly it feels completely different. They have time. It, 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 it's
0: remarkable how quickly it can change for the better. Yeah, it is. It is. So, what do you what do you spend your your time on when you're you're not in your sprint um, mode?
1: When I'm not in, um, uh, I I read a lot of detective novels. Really? Oh, and fantasy novels. In fact, have you ever have you ever read any Robert J. Crane? <sighs> No. Check him out. He's, I interviewed him in um, one of my podcasts. I've got a "My mm. Help Can't Hurt," and I interviewed him, and he doesn't. D- d- he said, "I don't do interviews, but you've read fifty-two of my books, so I'll <laughs> you know." So I, I do read a lot of books, still, um, but they tend to be fiction nowadays. Um, I uh, I'm in the middle of uh, teaching myself Spanish mm. as a sort of a, just a project where Maybe I. <laughs> <that's> <laughs> You too. No, but no, but it's funny because I, I literally just went, uh, I, I teach a program every year called Creating the Impossible, which one of my books is yeah. is based on. And my project this year was to teach a class in Spanish in less than three months from not knowing a word of Spanish. And I wow. am teaching on Thursday.
2: Awesome. Uh, so 48 hours. How are so. you doing?
1: Oh, it's awful. But, you know, that's all right. You know, we'll see, we'll see. But, you know, so I, I, I have, I love hanging with my wife. I've just mm. come back from being with my daughter in Brooklyn. Um, you, 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 know, I, I always, I always think it's funny because I've worked with a lot of incredibly successful people mm-hmm. and I've always thought, I think my life is boring, but mm-hmm. I really like it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I, I watch TV and stuff. <laughs> like I, I, you know, I, it's, 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 it doesn't get into the papers, but it yeah. works
0: for me. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's, what's important. That's what's important is that you just, you're building up a life that fits you. It fits you and it makes sense to you and it feels good. And that's well, different and for and every single person.
1: It's like it emerges from you. Mm-hmm. It's not even, you've got to get it to come to you. It's if you keep coming from that place in you that knows that place in you that isn't tomorrow, right? That place in you that, <laughs> that kind of, sees the noise swirling around it and goes, wow, there's a lot of noise swirling around and doesn't identify with the noise, right? It's amazing what happens, both in a productivity sense, but also just in a life sense. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: You know, so it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I always want to tell people, oh God, there's so much good news, but, you know, then they think I'm going to like try and convert them to a religion. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not that good news, but it is good news, right? It's It's like... like it's, it's, it really is possible to yeah. do a tremendous amount of cool shit
0: mm-hmm. and
1: have a wonderful life. Yeah. But it not the way most people are going about it.
0: That's all. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. No, hundred yeah. um, percent. I am down to 45 hours working a month
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that's it. I didn't start there. Yeah. I didn't have a team when I started. Yeah. I have people now. It makes it, it makes it easier, you know?
1: <laughs> it's funny, you've never counted books. I've never counted hours. I'm like-
0: yeah. I, <laughs> I did, you know hours? what I do? Because people ask me. People ask me how much, how much I'm working because yeah. this is what I talk about, right? So I broke it down because I, I, when, I wanted, when I wanted to see what my ideal life would look like and I started asking myself that question, what is it that I actually wanna live like? What do I want that to be? And I realized that in my picture perfect world that I didn't work Fridays. And then later I was like, I don't really want to work Mondays either, you know? And then I thought, well, I'm really good in the morning. I'm not so great in the afternoon. I was like, so I think I'll just stop around two o'clock every day. That feels good because that's when my energy would start to drift and my attention would start to drift. Yeah. And so I just said, okay, so I'll work from like nine to two, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And you know what? By the end of the month, I feel like I'm just drained. So I'm just gonna take that last week off. Then so only work three weeks. And then I thought, okay, well, if I'm gonna do that, then I need to make sure that my coaching <laughs> supports that schedule. Right. So my packages. Revolved around that schedule. And I just built them up around that. So it was easy to create a schedule and say, okay, this is when I'm working. And then if I couldn't fit it in, so I've got to find somebody else to do that. Yeah. And these are the things I'm good at. And these are the things that I really don't need to be doing. And so it was easier to break the hours apart. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. I mean, I know, like, I'm assuming you found this with your clients. Like, that's not dissimilar to mine in the sense I'll work, you know, seven or eight till one most days.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know, my wife used to joke with me. You know, if you'd be willing to put in a full day, honey. Um, <laughs> but but the truth is, when I I tried, it didn't go as well. It was diminishing exactly. returns, like you exactly. said. But I also know clients exactly who to- work totally differently to that. Like they they will go and go and go, and then they'll stop, and then they'll yeah. go and go and and it's so it really is finding your rhythm,
0: exactly, not copying our rhythm, because exactly that's you know, exactly right. Because it's what you want. It's what yeah. your life looks like. Your perfect life, your perfect experience, and then what is that, and then put that together. Mm. So,
1: well, and it's interesting because, like, you sound like you had a clear sense. I know for me, I had no freaking clue what it would look like till later. mm. Like, I knew, I knew the feeling. Yeah. Um, So I was able to go not this, but for me, it's been much more a game of warmer, colder, fulfilling a vision.
2: Yeah. I just
1: keep listening to warmer and moving away from colder and this is what it looks like
2: (laughs) yeah like i i at no point did i think
1: (laughs) i will nap like it's just you know i just nap a lot but it it wasn't part of a vision yeah
0: Yeah. (laughs) no that's that's good all right so in and because i know we're we're Coming we're up, right? We're out already four time, minutes. So, yeah, recording. we are four minutes. Time, we're over your one o'clock.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> returns, people. Just ignore anything that comes from here on in. The first part of the interview, I'm sure, was helpful. This next bit, it's going to be, you know, you know, hang on, she might say something cool. But anyway,s Karen, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, is there anything that you would like to to leave the listeners with? Just one piece of advice, something that yeah makes the world a difference
1: that is pretty damn universal is we all already know how to live underneath the noise Mm -hmm. like how what's going to work for us we all have that built in warmer colder or sense of direction or however it manifests Mm -hmm. in us and it is worth taking the time to get in touch with it getting a feel for it. So it doesn't feel so foreign and rare. You've probably had moments of it, but they feel like, yeah, every three years I know exactly what to do. Like if you are willing to prioritize that for a little while, it will take care of you forever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's great. Yeah. All right. So we will be sure to get links to your website and book purchases and things all in the show notes so that um all of you listening to this and if you want to learn more about michael uh you can go to his website which is michael Neal n-e-i-l-l and it's dot com or dot dot org oh, michaelneil.org
1: dot com is an accountant in georgia i think
0: good to know <laughs> <laughs> okay so michael was nice <laughs> it's funny that um i uh my last uh interview was with uh a woman named rachel weaver and her instagram she was saying is i am rachel weaver because somebody else had already taken rachel weaver <laughs> that's, that's funny. so michaelneal.org and um yeah and i want to make sure that uh, everybody knows about your quest which is on ever coach. And, uh, if you have any other um, programs or anything like that coming up, is there
1: something? Yeah. Well, so the the things are coming up depending when this goes out. So I do a a program for creatives, Mm -hmm. um, creative entrepreneurs called emerging voices. Mm -hmm. So the London one is sold out in April, but we have one coming up in LA in May.
0: Okay. So that's live.
1: Yeah, that's live. And then we do a lot of our online programs are, are, just a blast and they're ongoing so if you just look go to michaelman.org that'll tell you what to do the one thing i would say if you're interested in this and want to learn more the quickest next thing Mm -hmm. would either be there's a ted talk called why aren't we Awesomer. oh yeah people seem to really forgot
0: about your ted talk (laughs) Um,
1: so that's just a good a good next step and then we just launched um, within the month um something free on the website called the basic course mm, which, okay. which you just you just sign up and can do if the whole program's about two hours of just audio video a little bit of reading
2: yeah, and it yeah. will give
1: you a really simple grounding in this
2: mm. that you
1: can just take with you um, so th- those would be sort of nice next steps for most people
0: wonderful thank you so much i appreciate that and thank you for being on the show today And um, thank you all for listening and uh, we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. And especially thank you for sharing the show and leaving a review on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. Want to learn more about Productive Flow and connect with other business owners and salespeople on the same journey? Then go join our free Facebook group. ProductiveFlowGroup.com. It's free and you'll also get access to special content and resources. Now stay tuned for the next episode of Productive Flow.